What happens at, at the border when there are crises, there is a reaction. But when that crisis dissipates, a lot of those restrictions stay in place, which impedes traffic between the United States and Canada. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. I'm Scotty Greenwood with Canadian American Business Council, joined by my dear friend, Chris Sands at the Woodrow Wilson Center. Hey, Chris. Hi, Scotty. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Chris, the podcast today is exciting because we have uh, a returning guest, a very distinguished guest. We are bringing back Congressman Brian Higgins uh, to the podcast. We had our listeners might want to go back and listen to our earlier episode. It was uh, really direct and uh, I thought interesting. I listened to it right before we recorded this one just to refresh myself. Uh, but you guys might want to go back to at the time we were talking to Congressman Higgins about the fact that the Canada U.S. border was closed and a lot has happened. Uh, and I think we're going to talk more about border policy. He's got a new piece of legislation that I'm super interested in and, and whatever else is on his mind. So, but before we do that, why don't you give everybody a quick introduction to remind, uh, remind our listeners properly of our distinguished guests and then Congressman will get right into it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Scotty. This is a, it is an exciting repeat guest. Brian Higgins is a member of the United States House of Representatives serving New York's 26th congressional district, which includes portions of Erie and Niagara counties. His Western New York district, which already included the cities of Buffalo and Niagara Falls, recently changed to encompass additional communities along the Niagara River and Lake Ontario bordering Canada. In the 118th Congress, uh, which is the one we're about to uh, or has just gotten started, Brian serves on the House Committee on Ways and Means, where he is a member of the subcommittees on Health, Social Security, and Trade. And in addition, he's going to serve on the House Committee on the Budget. So a very influential and busy man with a lot of people want to talk to him. I'm glad he had time for us. More importantly for Canusa Street listeners, you should know that uh, Brian Higgins is the co-chair of the Bipartisan Northern Border Caucus and the co-chair of the Binational Canada-United States Interparliamentary Group. And additionally, he's a member of the Great Lakes Task Force. And in these roles, he advocates for federal policies that recognize the unique needs of northern border communities, efforts that serve to strengthen economic and security ties with our Canadian neighbors and expand tourism and trade. Congressman, you belong on Canusa Street. Uh, welcome. Chris, uh Scotty, it's good to be back with you. I'm, I'm pleased to talk to both of you about issues that are important to all of us and to the United States and Canada, Western New York and Southern Ontario. So I'm pleased to be back and thank you for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you and you're welcome um, early and often. So <laughs> when when we were when we were talking last time, uh, so we're recording now, it's February 2023. When we were talking last time, the border was closed. We were barely reopening. We were really frustrated. You were quite direct in your criticism of uh, the Biden administration for its policies with respect to the border. Now, fast forward, we have a we have a sort of a better problem to have, I guess, um, which is the border finally reopened uh, the Canada-U.S. border. But the Nexus Enrollment Centers remained closed uh, for quite a period of time. Nexus Enrollment, for our listeners, Nexus is a trusted traveler program that really facilitates commerce and security between our two countries. And it's a long story. We don't have to go into it, but Nexus Enrollment was closed. Congressman Higgins and others were saying, you know what? 
if the two, the reason the Nexus enrollment centers were closed was that the two federal governments, Canada and the United States, couldn't agree on a set of legal principles having to do with the individuals doing interviews for people to get enrolled in Nexus. So, uh, Customs and Border Protection folks. And so a lot of people were saying, Hey, man, during the COVID, we learned about Zoom. We learned about virtual meetings. The world can now meet virtually. Why can't Nexus interviews occur virtually? And Congressman, I guess you asked yourself the same question. Do you want to talk to us about uh, about where we are and about your leg- the legislation that you just recently introduced? Well, in, in truth, just for sake of full disclosure, it's not even my idea. Customs and Border Protection started a, a virtual interview a component of the Trusted Tra- Traveler Program in June of, of 2021. And uh, this is, you know, a proof of concept that has worked, and we should be able to make it work, apply to the Nexus program. Uh, last fall, we had uh, a 16-month delay from making application to getting a final determination. Uh, that's unacceptable. It's improved somewhat uh, because there is a... a, a a pilot program going on, including at the Peace Bridge. But, you know, the, the individual applicant still has to stop physically and the Canadian side be interviewed by Canadian Customs and Border Protection officials and then drive to the American side and get a second interview by U.S. Customs and Border uh, officials. It makes no sense. And not only is it a, a part of the trusted travel program, as you would, you had mentioned, Scotty, but it also makes the bridges run much more efficiently. Uh, yeah. because if these individuals don't have their Nexus cards, 80% of whom are Canadian, uh, then they are in the traditional lines where there is a constant delay. And we've talked about the maddening experience of that uh, previously, both for passenger vehicles and commercial vehicles. And what we want to do is encourage people to make that cross-border trip. When there are lines, when there are delays, when there is uncertainty, uh, people are going to adjust their economic behavior to avoid the bridge altogether. And I'm concerned that during the pandemic, a lot of that uh, that those trips that we we lost are going to be slow in coming back if they ever come back again, because people find alternatives. And that's not good for the United States. It's not good for Canada. It's not good for life quality. It's not good for uh, the economy uh, of both countries and the regional economies. So this makes perfect sense. Uh, all of us, for better or for worse, have you know relied on you know virtual meetings uh, through Zoom, etc. And uh, this can be accomplished. And Customs and Border Protection has already demonstrated that they have faith in this by doing their own pilot program, uh, allowing for virtual interviews under the Trusted Traveler Program. Yeah, you know, we'll put in the show notes, by the way, for our listeners, a link to your legislation and 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 also maybe some of the news coverage of it so, so people can get up to speed if they're not quite as nerdy as the three of us on this topic. It's We're nerdy, but it's because it's important, right? And as you mentioned, important to the economy, people's way of life, et cetera. Um, my question to you, Congressman, is what kind of pickup or response are you getting um, from folks to this legislation that you just introduced? We just introduced it uh, earlier this week on Monday. And we're seeking co-sponsorship. And I'm confident that people will, you know, be attracted to this bill because it's not ideological. It's commonsensical. 
Yeah. And we should all be seeking to do, uh, you know, an expedited version of a process that was pretty easy when it first started. And all of a sudden, because of the jurisdictional issues that you had mentioned at the outset, it's been complicated. Uh, and, you know, this is also speaks to a larger issue. And I, I believe this strongly. I'm not trying to get back to a baseline that is pre-pandemic. I'm trying to get back to a baseline that is pre-9-11. And what happens at, at the border when there are crises, uh, there is a reaction. And, you know, the justification is you'd rather be safe than sorry. I get that in the moment. I really do. But when that crisis dissipates, a, a lot of those restrictions stay in place, which, which impedes uh, traffic between the United States and Canada at the 120 uh, land ports of entry. That is not good for either of our economies. And I often say, you know, th there are 15 million people that live in southern Ontario. Uh, you know, that is everything north of Fort Erie up through and including uh, the greater Toronto area. You know, we need predictable, reliable access. And they, in southern Ontario and the province of Ontario, which is the largest uh, province by population in the entire a population of 38 million people in Canada, they need reliability and predictability. So I just think that, you know, we need to look at all of these restrictions that were put in place under emergency circumstances, including COVID, and seek not to just, you know, unilaterally discard them, but really a, 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 an honest assessment as to whether or not these restrictions are still necessary, because they all add up to the same thing, delay. And that is not our friend here. The greatest inducement to travel is ease of travel. Well, that's right. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk. Uh, I'm going to let Chris Sands get a word in edgewise. And also just remind our listeners that the congressman is absolutely right about Ontario and the Ontario-New York crossings. But the same could be true for New Brunswick and Maine, for Quebec and Vermont, for uh, British Columbia and Washington, Montana, Alberta, you go right across the border and the same is true. So we'll be right back. The Wilson Centers Canada Institute is a proud co-producer of the Canusa Street Podcast. For more insights and analysis from the world's leading think tank on Canada-U.S. relations, please visit us on the web at www.wilsoncenter.org. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everyone. I'm here with Scotty Greenwood, my partner in hosting, uh, Brian Higgins, who is member of Congress representing New York's 26th district. And we've been talking about uh, border travel, trusted traveler programs, and some of the things that we put in place for COVID and uh, that have simply not gone away, and, and particularly the Nexus program. Um, Congressman, when you were talking about that in the previous segment, I, I couldn't help but think, and you probably have heard this story as well, about the famous Spanish-American War uh, tax on telephone calls. And I think they put it in in 1896, and they didn't get rid of it until 2006. But it was a temporary tax to fund the war that never went away. So sometimes... You're absolutely right. These things don't die when they should die. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, I, I've shared this with both of you before, but I, I'm a kid that grew up in Buffalo. And I played ice hockey over in Canada. Uh, I spent most of my summers along the Canadian beaches of Lake Erie at Crystal Beach, at Bay Beach, at Thunder Bay. And that my circumstance was not unique to me. It was pervasive. 
in Buffalo and Western New York. But, you know, there was a time where you went over the bridge, you were asked basically two questions, and that was it. Um, so, you know, people were moving across the border, you know, on a, on a regular basis, which was accruing both to the benefit of, of, of the economy of Canada and the economy of the United States, Western New York and Southern Ontario. We have just become overly, uh, you know, uh, sensitive to the issue of security. Look, with technology, with all of the things that we have available to us today, we can both achieve uh, the goals of uh, keeping people safe and not inconveniencing them with inordinate uh, delays that are unpredictable that keep people from uh, from the bridges, from, from making that cross-border trip. So I just think that we can do much, much better. And I've learned, we all have, over the past three years, both the Canadian federal government and the U.S. federal government, and it was it was frustrating. It was maddening uh, the, the the slow pace at which they uh, made decisions about you know lifting restrictions at the border and allowing people to pass, and they just didn't make any sense. And we were all admonished during that time to follow the science, uh, to follow the facts, and yet they would make arbitrary decisions about you know, exemptions for NHL hockey teams because of the playoff schedule. And a lot of those kinds of issues. And look, I love hockey. <laughs> but um, but it just, it, 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 you see what, it, and then, you know, when we would deal with uh, the Department of Homeland Security and the U.S. government uh, and the Canadian government, I mean, the, the decision-making was so uh, scattershot that nobody was in a position, at least they said, to make a decision. They had to defer to some group that hadn't met for two months. And it just it's unfair to people. And families were, were separated from each other. Uh, loved ones were separated from each other. Uh, commerce was halted uh, in large part. It was slowed significantly. Uh, traffic you know, at the Peace Bridge was down 40% uh, during the pandemic years. And and that didn't accrue to anybody's benefit. Let me let me ask you a, a follow up. So I, I have a Nexus card, I admit, and my wife, because we live in Silver Spring, she went for the global entry card because she mostly flies in and out of the United States. And for a lot of things, it's just as good. And she doesn't have to deal with the Canadians. She can just do that on one side of the border. If we can do that for that card, um, why can't we have the same customer service ethos with the Canadians? Surely we could exchange the data or, you know, uh, whatever it is the Canadians need. Uh, why is it we have a program that only requires one interview and, and is pretty customer friendly? And then we have this other program on the Canada-US border that just has that extra layer of complication. I don't know the answer to that. And this is what bureaucracies do. They have a tendency, I think, to overreach and to complicate unnecessarily uh, people's lives. Look, all of us, all of us support first and foremost uh, the safe travel of individuals. Uh, but that's why you have, you know, trained law enforcement professionals, customs and border uh, officials that are that are trained as 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 uh, you know officers to instinctively and routinely to detect if there is a potential problem with someone that's trying to enter the United States or Canada and they're you know, hold aside for secondary screening. Now, all of that stuff, those are the kinds of things that we support. But when you continue to put up barriers to, uh, to commerce, 
to passenger vehicles, people that want to make day trips from Buffalo up to Niagara on the Lake, uh, people from Ontario that want to go skiing down in Ellicottville, New York. Uh, all of those individuals are discouraged from making that trip. And what is lost is the life quality and the economic benefit of living in a border community. Mm-hmm. So the last breakthrough we had on Nexus um, occurred uh, just recently at the North American Leaders Meeting where Pre- Prime Minister Trudeau and President Biden were getting together. And I think the officials were scrambling to try to have an announcement and, and, and lo and behold, they had one. So coming up next month, uh, President Biden will be traveling to Canada. Uh, and they have a lot to talk about multilateral global issues, of course, also some bilateral trade issues. Congressman, do you anticipate, um, being in conversation with the administration in advance or during that trip? Or are you going to hop on Air Force One and ride along just to, uh, bend the president's ear? What, what do you think? On both. Um, We will make every effort to uh, get into that agenda, uh, the issue of the border and lifting all restrictions. I mean, there's still a vaccine requirement of people of color into the United States. But you know what? Customs and Border Protection, they're not enforcing it by and large. So why do you have it? I mean, this is a kind of thing that frustrates the hell out of people when they consider all of these restrictions. So if if they have you know a rule in place that's not being enforced, then how important is the rule in the first place? And then people are left to wonder how important are all these other rules that are imposed on us that restrict our movement. So I just think that you know common sense and getting a couple of people in the room to work out, you know, what is necessary, but only what is necessary, and don't go overboard. So we are communicating with the administration on every other day, typically on the border, and various issues on an individualized basis, but more generally as well, just to try to instill an appreciation for how important this border is. Uh, the United States and Canada, you know, this is not the Middle East. This is not... Uh, this is not the South China Sea. You know, between the United States and Canada, we are surrounded by friends and fish. And <laughs> leave people to to want to do better as it relates to trade. And, and look, I don't blame any one individual for the holdup, for example, at the Peace Bridge or the other bridges in Western New York. I blame the process, the bureaucratic process that really ties their hands. And if they're professional law enforcement officials, customs and border protection agents, as they are, let them act as professionals, but don't unnecessarily uh, burden them or restrict them from doing what it is they do. Well, and trusted traveler makes their job easier, right? Because to the extent, if you're looking for a needle in a haystack, as our old friend Alan Burson, who used to be over there at Homeland Security, would say, it's better to make the haystack smaller. (laughs) And that's that's what trusted traveler does, and that's what you're working on. And that's what these programs do, the Nexus program, the Trusted Traveler program. And if Customs and Border Protection is already doing, uh, you know, a pilot project as it relates to virtual interviews, there is no reason why that could not also apply to the Nexus program. Well, if I can uh, jump in on bureaucratic processes, you know, uh, at, the, at the Wilson Center, we we created a task force on 
uh, public health in the U.S. Canadian border. And one of the things you you spoke to the task force, and uh, were really a, a, a font of wisdom for us. One of the things we took out of that, in addition to talking about trusted traveler programs as great test beds for trying new ideas because people are willing to do it was a really strong sense that we needed to revise the North American plan for animal and pandemic influenza called the NAPAPI, which is a a funny name. But we had created that following the 2003 SARS epidemic with Canada and Mexico, and it focused on air. And then we had the avian flu epidemic uh, under Obama, and he made sure we went back and we updated it. There was always the words about land border in there, but we never worked out the details. It was just sort of a throwaway line. Now that we've had this experience of all this disruption, can't we learn some lessons and put them into the new sort of another update of the NAPAPI? And and the leaders at the NALS meeting here in Washington in 2021 said they were going to make that a priority. They just met Mexico City, said, oh, yeah, we're working on it, but I've seen no evidence that they're doing any of that at all. I mean, can't we learn something from this experience, at least get something good out of it? Well, without question. But, you know, think about it in the United States. You've got the Department of Homeland Security involved in decisions about this. You have the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention involved with this. And then you have the Canadian counterparts involved with this. And then the general bureaucracy from the prime minister and the president on down. So that does not make for efficient uh, decision making. But And that's why I think that if we could somehow separate out the land ports of entry, because there are a lot of them, and there is a lot of economic activity occurring uh, across those land ports of entry, uh, finding a way to to just come up with uh, one policy, speaking with one voice, not only about the current situation as it exists, but about what's going to happen prospectively. You know, you mentioned SARS. Uh, we had COVID-19. Uh, there'll be SARS 3, 4, 5, and 6. Uh, that's coming. And the reasons for that is population growth. We continue to uh, disrupt ecosystems that, you know, some of these diseases are being carried by, you know, the things that get disrupted during during movement of, of land and wildlife. So mm-hmm. I, I just think that we can be doing much, much better. And I think a lot of this is the bureaucracy, uh, but a lot of this is common sense as well. And if we can get to a point at which, and let's be honest, you know, one of the reasons the Northern Border Caucus was created was because there was a concern amongst both Republican and Democratic members of Congress that the Northern border was being depleted of resources, both human and financial, because of the situation at the northern border. I think many of the decisions that were deferred, that were delayed, that weren't being made as it relates to the northern border were because, you know, they wanted consistency. With the southern border, yeah. Two very, very different places. And it's not politically incorrect to be honest about that. They are two different situations. So let's just be honest about it. Let's come up with a policy that works for the northern border. And that's what we're doing here today. We're, we're trying to uh, to carve out, if you will, uh, the uniqueness of the northern border and address the challenges that exist there, which are abundant in and of themselves. But they don't need to be coupled with a larger and different problem at the southern border. I remember um, talking to some of the the 
uh, border officials when I was back in Detroit over Christmas. And we were talking about um, how, you know, they do their job. And after 9-11, one of the things they made their watchword was um, risk management. You know, put the resources where the risk is and make a determination of whether this is just a friendly old grandmother crossing the border, nothing to worry about, or whether this is a potential threat. And that's terrorism, obviously, a little bit different. But the point they were making is that we didn't give border officials a a basis for a risk decision. Canada tried with ArriveCan, you know, they had that app that you could put your vaccine information in. We never really created anything on the U.S. side. If we were to do this again and, and we were looking at risk management, couldn't Nexus also be used or part of the future of Nexus, Nexus 2.0, include just a little information so that our border officers have the tools they need to make a decision based on risk and not based on being nice to hockey players or, you know, whatever else they want to make an exemption for? Well, I think that's the common sense that we're talking about. Um, and I think there's a tendency to uh, react and sometimes overreact and not evaluate what's available to us already. And, you know, uh, expanding the Nexus program to include uh, some information, which is not all that much. I mean, filling out the Arrive Cam was not that difficult. Uh, that certainly could have been part of an existing program. But what do you do? You create another bureaucracy to deal with the establishment of another program. You know, people people's lives are already complicated. And when you complicate it that much more, they just tune it out. And what's what's being lost, and I think that's, see, I think we do well, even pre-pandemic, uh, between the United States and Canada as it relates to trade. But we're doing that still, pre-pandemic, with one hand tied behind our backs. Yeah. And, you know, you have to understand, I used to teach economics in, in history uh, at the university in Buffalo. And I should tell my students, you know, you don't need books in this class. We're going to talk about what the, the economy and what it is. And, you know, it's about how we feel about our economic future. If we're confident we move, we're not, we don't. And that's the same is true with, 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 you know, the border economy and by national economies, that if people are confident about their movement into that economy, they're going to move. But if there's uncertainty, if there's delays, if there are uh, other problems at the border, they're going to adjust their economic behavior to avoid the circumstance altogether. What we have to do, and I'm afraid that we've lost some ground here, is, is instill in people an appreciation for the efficiency of the border. You know, I talked to Ron Rhinus on a regular basis. I was with him Monday. Uh, he manages the Peace Bridge in Buffalo, probably the second busiest northern border crossing uh, between the United States and Canada. And, you know, there's a guy that's working every day to figure out how we can make this thing work better. Infrastructure, technology, policy, and all of those other things. And, you know, there's a guy, I don't want to get him in trouble, but, you know, he and I spent some frustrating moments over the past three years about what our respective governments were doing. And, you know, just the very simple things that he and I would conclude in a very short period of time that that is lost upon those who are charged with the responsibility uh, to manage the border. You know, I'm afraid of not only what I know, but what we don't know. 
And that's why I think you really need a review. You know, the, the first thing that the FBI did and, and, and the, the Canadian counterpart uh, when the second plane hit the tower in New York uh, in 2001 was close the international crossings, the bridges, yeah, and, right. and, you know, close the airspace. Um, but I just think that, you know, we made uh, travel, cross-border travel, really, really difficult in, in, in the years after that by not reevaluating what we had done and keep, of course, what works, but let go what is not relevant anymore. That's a, that's a really good idea. And, and actually, you've just inspired an idea. Chris, I think we should have some bridge operators on Canusa Street. I think the congressman uh, has has an idea there. And I, I know you're very generous with your time. I know you've got votes uh, you've got to, that, that you've got to do. So I've got just one last um, important question from the kid who played hockey on both sides of the border. Uh, Congressman, you know, the Congressional Hockey Challenge is coming up and your colleague, Congressman Tom Emmer, uh, who's now, I guess, the majority whip will be there. I'm just wondering if your if your knees and your elbows are are uh, able to get out there and, and play some hockey, if we'll see you there. Well, Scotty, I would love to. I've played in that game many, many times. Tom is a great member and a great participant in that challenge. I don't even know where my hockey equipment is anymore. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe maybe we can uh, go there and have a have a beverage there at the Caps, uh, the Washington Capitals um, practice facility. Well, you know, the other thing, Congressman, we didn't talk a lot about trade. We mentioned it, but you are on Ways and Means, and and maybe we could have you back to Canusa Street sometime to talk about some of the trade issues uh, between Canada because the border makes all the trade work or not work. Uh, but then there are there's the good old uh, trade agreements and disagreements. And, and we'd love if you if you want to come back, we'd love to talk to you about that sometime. I sure would, Scotty. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Good to be with you both. Great to have you on Canusa Street. Well, Congressman Brian Higgins is so generous with his time and his ideas and uh, his passion for making this border work really comes through, Chris. I'm I'm grateful that that uh, he's been a second guest or come back twice and, and hopefully we'll have him again. We've had Congressman Heisinga, Congressman Del Benny. You know, we welcome policymakers on this podcast and Brian Higgins is one of the thoughtful ones. And, and uh, I always learn something. I always learn something too, and I, I have to admire. You know, border border policy is one of those niche areas. He's a border state congressman, but what what really has helped, I think, the United States in this case is his persistence. A lot of people were concerned about the border during COVID. Then that's it. Change the channel. New topic because they're just not that. I mean, they don't sustain the interest. And most of us walked away from the border restrictions and said, "Okay, now things are getting back to normal. I'm going to forget about it." But his passion didn't go away. And as he says, it's not about creating the day before COVID. It's about going back to a much more open border, one that he grew up near, I grew up near, and and you did when you were in Vermont. I mean, there's so, so much that we um, that we could learn from the past, and it's a, we aren't there yet. And we rely on people like uh, Congressman Higgins, who don't give up, who keep at it, even when the rest of us have switched channels to Ukraine or, or some other crisis that, that catches our eye. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, his point about and yours about layering regulation upon regulation and not getting rid of them when they no longer apply. I mean, 
the congressman raises a good point that the United States still has a policy in place that says you got to be vaccinated if you're coming from Canada into the United States. That's outdated. As he mentions, they don't enforce it. I didn't know that, but we need to deal with it. And, you know, Chris, my, uh, my Canusa Street example, having, you know, I worked uh, in City Hall in Atlanta for some years. And when you're repaving roads, you don't just pour more asphalt or concrete on top of the road. You actually grind it back down. Um, you you peel some layers off before you resurface a street. And so um, I think that's what he's talking about with border policy. We need to peel away uh, the policies that don't work, that don't make sense, so that we can repave you know, we can add new policies like his virtual interview nexus bill. So any congressional staff that are listening, go check out that bill, get your boss to sign on, you know, let's see, let's see what we can do here. But, uh, you know, taking away the old stuff, uh, so that you can make room for new, better ideas, I think is a smart one, smart idea. Well, and, uh, the congressman's an outstanding public servant. And the thing that, that public service always sort of, is at risk of falling away from is customer service. And our taxpayers work really hard. Most people aren't border scholars. They live live and breathe on Canusa Street, but they just want to be able to carry on their lives. And I think sometimes we're so focused on keeping people safe, we make them miserable in the process. And and uh, we've got to find a way to do, do that a bit nicer. Uh, treat the taxpayer and the average citizen with some respect and say, hey, that was then, that was a crisis, but now we're going to try to make it easy for you. And a thing like a video interview, so you don't have to go all over town to get your paperwork done, is, is just common sense, as the congressman says. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm all for common sense. And and one uh, distinction I would make between the two of you, both you and the congressman uh, are professors, teachers uh, at, the, at the collegiate university level. Um and the congressman said in, in, in his talk with us just now that in his class on economics, he said, you don't have to read books. We're going to talk, you know, about real economics. And I have to tell you, Chris, I have my youngest kid is about to go off to school upstate New York, actually, at Hobart and William Smith. And if he walked into a class and the professor said, we're not going to, you're not going to have to have any books, I think he would dance an Irish jig. <laughs> and I bet you, you don't say that to your to your students. I bet they have to read. <laughs> they do have to read. I, I, I do make them, but it's mostly so that I'm not so lonely. Every reader likes somebody else reading the same stuff. It just brings new <laughs> things out of, out of each reader. Everybody reads and picks up something different. So as new generations come, I, I like to have them read the classics. Professor Sands Book Club. There you go, everybody. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks. It's always great to see you, my friend. It's always great to see you, Scotty. And we'll look forward to being back here again on Canusa Street very soon. Very soon. See you later. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. <laughs>